Hey Flomies, it's time for another edition of the ITF Flowcast. So as you can see, today I got me a big project on my hands. So uh, we're happy to have Joel Lamb fill in. Uh, he is interviewing Andy Masura. He's the owner of Kahuna Window Cleaning. And Andy is an expert in all things just office crews, running organization. Uh, he's going to talk about hiring. He's going to talk about uh, being profitable. Uh, they have a great conversation about a lot of different things that to you as a business owner need to hear. So without further ado, let's listen in on the interview. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the End of the Flow podcast. This is Joel Lamb, your guest host today. I'm joined by Andy Mashura and Kelly Olson. Um, let's hear a little bit about y'all's company. What's the company name? Yeah. It's Kahuna Window Cleaning, and we're out of Minneapolis, St. Paul area in Minnesota. Cool. Uh, how did you guys get into the, the industry? So I was a 14-year-old um, looking to make some money, come from a big family, and my, my parents kindly let me know that if I wanted to get a vehicle or, or anything like that when I was 16, 17, um, it would have to be bought and paid for by myself, including the insurance and everything like that. So I was looking for some easy ways to make money. I didn't have a whole lot to start with. It was, I don't, there weren't a whole lot of places that would hire a 14, 15 year old. And so um, I don't know how exactly, but I got into my head that window cleaning would be a good option. You know, I knew that my cousin out in Pennsylvania did some window cleaning mm -hmm. and, um, and, but I, I didn't really talk to him about it. I just kind of got the idea from him and started when I was, Early in high school, I wasn't old enough to drive, and my mom had to uh, drive us to some of our first customers and just wait out in the van while <laughs> while I serviced the client at fourteen. I don't know who would I don't know who would hire a fourteen year old. They must have been. I was giving them a really good deal. That's probably yeah. why. But uh, hopefully, I left the windows looking better than uh, they were to begin with. But wow. uh, that's that's questionable. But anyway. By the time I graduated high school, it was pretty much a full-time occupation for me, and I just kept growing it from there. So how many years have you been in the industry now? I think it's like 14 or 15. No, I have not. I, I, it was pretty much a one-man operation right up until like 2015, maybe, is when we decided that we really wanted to grow this thing and hire our first employees. And, um, so, uh, most of the way it was just myself. Okay. So Kelly, how did you get into the industry? <laughs> <laughs> so I'm not entirely in the industry. Um, but when I met Andy, we actually met on Tinder. Um, I met him seven years ago and he was a one man crew at the time. Um, and he stayed that way for probably a year, which I actually really liked because I work shift work um, on five, off three. And so with that, I'm working weekends and overnights and stuff, but he just aligned his schedule, uh, to line up with mine. Mm -hmm. So I probably actually held him back for that year, but Hey, probably, it all works out in the end. Probably, you know, grow slow and don't rush into it. That's a mistake. A lot of people make, so you probably helped him out. 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah. I do actually remember, um, you know, seven years ago, I would actually go to work with him sometimes. Oh, wow. So I've probably done about every part of the job. I've answered phones. I've done estimates. I've scheduled. I've gone out and cleaned windows. Um, just recently, actually, last weekend, I went out and did a Christmas light job with him. So I've done about every aspect of it along the way. That's kind of like my wife. Um, she still has her own job uh, and she works part time uh, from home, uh, but she still helps out when I need it. Uh, she helps out a lot with uh, office work, uh, reception, scheduling, um, doing our accounting, QuickBooks, uh, different things like that. It's very rare. I, I have to like bribe her big time in order to get her on the glass, <laughs> but uh, it happens every now and then on rare occasions. So, um, so that's awesome. So you were a one man show for a long time and you decided to hire employees to, you had a vision and you wanted to work towards that. So what was your, your vision? What got you to the point where you decided you wanted to hire? Um, I started to see and started to get kind of involved in, um, a lot of like, a lot of the forums and Facebook groups and everything. And I was seeing young, I, I didn't really know that you could go big, but then I was starting to see other people my age that were really killing it. Um, and in my same market. And so that inspired me to, um, to grow this thing a little bit. And, um, so that kind of spurred it on in 20, uh, in, in 2016 or 2017, our first hire was actually an office manager. Someone really? to answer the phones that's for us. Yeah. Very surprising for me to hear. Mm -hmm. um, that's the first time I've ever heard that was the first hire was office manager. What, what made you decide to do office manager? Mm -hmm. So running the math, I decided I wanted to do $100,000. Um, and that was my goal. Before then, I had never, never even really came close. Well, what was your gross sales, if you don't mind me asking, before yep. you set that goal? Yep. So I had maybe done 40 or 50, which is not too bad here in Minnesota. It's really like a seven-month season. We're doing all high-end residential, and so it's very seasonal, like spring and fall, spring and fall. And in the winter, you've got nothing to do. And a lot of times, even in the summer, it would dip significantly. Mm -hmm. Um, even today, I think we do like 70% of our revenue in 30% of the days or something mm -hmm. like that. Um, so anyway, yeah, it was $50,000 and I thought a hundred thousand dollars would be like the dream, mm -hmm. but we decided we're going to have to hire some people and answering the phones is the part that I hated the least or that I, that I hated the most. Okay. I, I, um, and so that was, the, that was the part we hired out first. We hired Emily, who was phenomenal, stayed with us until just a couple of years ago before she decided to move on. But, um, yeah, that was probably the best decision. She allowed us to be able to really grow the business. And, um, we, shortly after that, we hired a couple of technicians and ended up doing, um, over $200,000 that year. So we'd over like doubled our, our you, revenue goal for that. Do you attribute that massive um, leap to the office manager or to having more techs in the field? I think just 
committing to growing. Um, I had been a one man operation for so long that I was really nervous about handing off the responsibilities, mm-hmm. um, even of answering the phones. Um, yeah, you know, it was, it was nerve wracking. And so once I committed to it, I'm like, Oh, this isn't so bad. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, I think it was the, the fact that we just committed to growing that allowed us to grow. So you originally were shooting for a hundred and you blew that out of the water and you hit 200. Mm-hmm. Um, what about your expenses? So you've hired on somebody that answers the phone. They're not out doing production. Um, so they're not technically generating money. They're just maintaining uh, the business. So expenses for that first year where you really decided to focus on it. Uh, what did you see as far as your expenses go? We did not make a lot of money at all from the years 2017 to like 2019. In fact, in 2019, we lost almost $100,000. I don't know how that was even possible looking back. But our expenses were so out of line. I didn't know what I was doing. When we first hired people, what I didn't really understand is all of the insurance that you have to pay on their behalf. It's a percentage of their pay. I pride myself on paying our people really well. But what I didn't understand was the insurance, the taxes that you have to pay on their behalf. It's pretty steep here in Minnesota. I don't know what it's like where you're at, but um, you have to, like, if you, you can, you have to withhold right from their taxes and then you have to match that on their behalf so yeah you know a a employee making twenty dollars an hour actually costs you like twenty six twenty seven dollars an hour i just was not running the math um and i got some bad advice somewhere along the line that a fifty dollar an hour average crew hour was good and it turns out that actually really really sucks um so I mean, you know, just not paying attention to the numbers and then letting that go for a couple of years, it kind of snowballed into a really bad situation. Which, to be fair, with some of the people listening, they might be um, their billable hour might be 50 an hour and they might be crushing it wherever they are. But everybody's market's different. And also um, the larger scale operation you have, the cost to run the business is divided among the people you have out generating income. So some people might be doing quite well on a lower billable hours. Um, so just for anybody listening, we're not, you know, walking all over you if you're doing exactly. great. I would, I would really, I would try to get that number up before you start hiring uh, employees and especially paying them 20 bucks an hour. Those numbers just do not line up. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, learned that the hard way, but um, met a gentleman um, Dan Plata, who's now my business partner. Wow. And, and he, um, he has a business doing bookkeeping for window cleaning companies. Mm-hmm. And so he helped me a lot, try to get our like numbers in line. It turns out he actually owned a window cleaning company right here in, in Minneapolis too. So he was very generous in helping us get our numbers back online and getting our uh, crew hour up over 100, which then allowed us to 
start making some money and paying back some some serious debt. So I was just having this conversation with a gentleman in the pressure washing industry. We were talking about like, you know, when you're on site, you start crunching the numbers a little bit in your head. You're like, man, I'm making a hundred dollars an hour. I'm doing great. Yep. You know, and maybe depending where you're at, like, yeah, that might be awesome. Especially if you come from uh, another industry or perhaps not working for yourself, but it doesn't take very long, especially hiring people to where you just start watching that money evaporate. And it just feels like, why am I not getting ahead? Why, why is this amount that I'm making doesn't seem to be enough. So it is, it is interesting to, to watch where the money goes. So primarily for you, you didn't expect all the taxes up front uh, on top of you're paying, um, I would say above average hourly wage for a beginning window cleaner. Um, starting out, where did you pull your employees from? Um, so we did a little bit of advertising on Indeed. And I remember we got, uh, first guy we got was Matt. And then Matt was awesome. And Matt had a bunch of friends. Mm-hmm. Um, and they all played like uh, high school football together. And they were just a group of studs and they were awesome. But um, after they left, it got a little bit harder. Um, but usually it's Indeed or, or uh, referrals from our current staff. Mm. Uh, so that was one of the things that doing research for uh, another discussion. Uh, that's a technique, I guess, that some people employ where they hire um, sort of from within. They pool their employees and say, hey, do you know anybody that is solid? Uh, and we'll, we might even give you a bonus if they stay on for so long. Is that a technique that you guys have employed? Mm-hmm. Yep, absolutely. We've, um, we've given signing bonuses. We've getting, given recruiting bonuses. Um, and yeah, I, it, it works great. We do a lot of college students. So what we found is it's really easy to get employees in the spring. And then when they go back to school, you're left trying to fill those roles that they had um, for a season that's going to be ending in two and a half months. Mm -hmm. And so that was kind of difficult, but we spend a lot of money on Indeed and trying to get, get good people. And we spend a lot in bonuses and, um, but you know, throwing money at the problem isn't going to be the only, like, that's not going to be the cure-all. You definitely have to have, um, you know, there's got to be some benefits that for them to come to work for you, it has to be better than their other option that they currently have. Mm -hmm. You've got to be able to, um, you know, make it worth it to them. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like you started out, um, at the ceiling of what you could pay somebody mm-hmm. um, with these uh, newer hires that you've been doing. Uh, mm-hmm. How did you come up with a pay scale uh, starting wage uh, for them? Cause that's something that my wife and I have talked about. We, we have a small crew, um, mostly friends and family. And uh, I hired on somebody that I grew up working with that has just as much experience that I did. And I knew what he was making at his, his previous employer. And so I matched it, which is, was like our ceiling. And so it was hard to have room for growth there. So with new hires um, and me not having a whole lot of job experience outside of this industry, it's always confusing for me to figure out uh, how to provide um, employment opportunities that 
um, can attract high quality people without overpaying. You know what I mean? So how, how did you guys figure that out? I love, I love this question. I'm glad you asked it because I can knock this one out of, out of the park. Perfect. We switched over from an hourly to a commission pay. Okay. And because our prices are what they are and more, a little bit more on the expensive side. Um, now it was tough making that transition with our current staff, but what we found was they were good staff and they transitioned and they started actually making significantly more. Um, so we pay 25% commission or or $16 an hour, whichever is more. And so we have that floor. So they're not going to make less than $16 an hour. If you take their, if you take their weekly commission divided by the hours that they worked, if it's less than 16 an hour, they'll make 16. Mm-hmm. But we've not had that happen all year um, for, for all of our guys. And I think the average paycheck is, is around $800 a week. And we have some guys that are making 1500 a week. And wow. it's, it's very good income, especially in the busy season. Now they have to work a little bit of overtime, maybe 45 to 50 hours a week. But um, yeah, it, it's, it's weird. I, I love commission. That's probably what saved our business, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, when we were paying hourly, I just could not get our guys to move any faster. And we would, every week we'd sit down and we'd discuss how we can get the jobs done faster. And um, all the harping in the world didn't make a lick of difference. But changing that commission, now they're on the same side as me. Before they were incentivized to go slower, they were making a good hourly rate. Mm-hmm. So if they were given a job that would take me seven hours, if it takes them eight hours or nine hours, they made more money. Mm-hmm. Um, and why, why go any faster when you're going to make less money? But now the commission structure, now they're on the same side as me. Mm-hmm. And so they're also trying to figure out, okay, if I keep the van more organized, I can move faster at my jobs and I can work more efficiently. I can get done sooner and I can make the same amount of money. Or I could take this extra job over here and make extra money. And they kind of look at their paychecks and we keep it recorded on the whiteboard, what everyone's hourly rate is. Um, and it's a little bit of a competition. Now, the question that I always get after that is how do you keep the quality up? Um, and that's really simple too. We've got two different metrics. Um, we use Broadly, which is a software that automatically texts the customer and they can rate, they can rate our technicians on the scale of one to 10. And it, it asks how likely are they to recommend us in the future? Mm-hmm. And so it's a net promoter score. If you've ever heard of that, it's, it's awesome. I love the one to 10 mm-hmm. versus the one to five mm-hmm. because a four doesn't really give you the same information as like a six on the scale. Of right. one to 10. That's interesting. So what it does is it, anything that's a nine or a 10 is considered a positive Mm-hmm. Anything from a, a like a seven or eight, that's considered kind of a neutral. 
like they were satisfied with the service, but they weren't thrilled or they weren't blown away. They might like if a neighbor has a neighborhood discount or something, they might go with that other cleaning company. Anything six or below mm -hmm. is a, that's a negative. So what it does is it takes your negatives, divides it by your positive and gives you a net promoter score. And you keep an eye on that per cleaner. So each cleaner has their own net promoter score. And we want to make sure that that stays mm -hmm. at a really, really high rate. Um, and if they start getting negatives on jobs, then they start making the hourly pay. So they're incentivized to keep their quality score up. Now I call that the NPS. That's more of the customer service. Mm -hmm. And so is the customer, are they serving the customer? Well, are they making the customer happy? The other side of it, if they're leaving stuff at the job site, or if they have to go back and fix different things, maybe they gave the customer an awesome experience, but they missed one window or they forgot to put one screen back. The customer's happy. They just want their screen put back the right way. So then we have to send that person back out. Um, and that just goes right on their route. They don't get paid a commission to go back and fix something, hmm. but that's called an NPI. We call that a non-productive incident. And I got that from a friend of mine, actually. So he can take credit for that. But NPI, non-productive incident, we track all those. Okay. And we track those by company. So every time there's an NPI, it doesn't matter if they, if they, you know, broke a landscaping light or if they damaged some property, put a screen in upside down, left a streak, missed a window, whatever it is, they have to go back out. We call that a non-productive incident that gets logged. Mm -hmm. And then I want to make sure that we take all of the jobs that we do and divide it by how many NPIs are. I want that to be less than 5%. If it's less than 5% for the company, I know our quality is good. So your numbers guy. Yes. <laughs> I was not originally, I had to become one. Right. But uh, yeah. So, and, and uh, I don't track that per person. I can, if I wanted to, mm -hmm. but I, I know it's going to be, it's going to be more than 5% because you have a certain percentage of customers that are going to be really super picky and you're going to forget stuff and things are going to break. So basically you use the MPIs to manage quality control because if they're making commission and they have to go out and spend time working and they're not making money or they've already been paid for that, but they're continuing to spend more time, then there's less money for them to make. Exactly. Um, so how does that, does that seem to affect your scheduling at all? Because if you have, you have an MPI and you have to add that to a day, that means there's less work that can be done that day. So how does that affect your scheduling? It was, it was really tough at first. And I'll say the more crews you have, the easier it gets. Really? Yeah. You don't mind me asking, how many crews are you guys running now? Uh, 13, I think. Holy moly. Congratulations. Do you Thank think, you. Do you think that, did you see like different... Um, growing pains at certain levels of cruise until you got to a point to where you're cruising. Can you, can you kind of like quantify where the growing pains were at? At two or three, it's tough. Cruise or employees? Uh, so we do one person cruise. We just discussed this mm -hmm. in our latest episode. We talked about that a oh, little bit. Awesome. 
Okay. Yeah. So one person cruise. Now, if it's a, if it's a job that's going to take more than half a day, we're sending a couple people because we don't want them to be at that customer's house all day. Sure. Um, but yeah, generally one person cruise and this works better for commission too, because you put two people together, one's always going to be working harder than the other. Um, and so if they're making commission, they're only responsible for themselves. And for some reason, guys just go faster when they're on them, when they're by themselves, because they're not waiting for the other guy to go hit that difficult window or whatever. Yeah. We um, talked a little bit about it and kind of thinking about it afterwards. You're kind of like only as strong as your weakest link. Mm-hmm. So if one guy can do X amount of dollars per day, it doesn't necessarily mean two guys can double that amount. Right. Right. So, so then it's kind of tricky. Um, on the management side, scheduling the appropriate amount of work because uh, you might think that somebody can go faster with two people, but it's not always the case. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, there's pros and cons to, to both concepts, but that was something that we had discussed. Yep. Yep. You should have you had my business partner, Dan Plot, on here yet? Um, there, I don't, <laughs> I don't want to say yes or no to that, but okay. uh, if, if you ever do, I don't want to steal a thunder, but I'll, I'll, I'll super nerdy math guy. He <laughs> is a phenomenal guy. I'm going to give him a quick shout out, but Dan, um, he's, he's a really fun guy, very charismatic, funny. He's always got a beer in his hand. He's from Wisconsin. So he's got kind of a weird accent, kind of like me, except a little <laughs> bit worse. <Not> weird. <laughs> and, uh, but like, Super smart, triple majored in college. Um, he's got like a degree in finance, a degree in economics, and a degree in accounting. Mm-hmm. And um, he runs a bookkeeping company for window cleaning companies. Mm-hmm. He's run the math a hundred different ways. You actually save on time and you save on fuel doing one man operations because you have you if you if you split out, you've got three jobs. I don't know if I'm going to get this just right. Say you have six jobs you have to do that day. You send one crew of two to go do those six jobs. They've got, how many drives is that? We work this out. You've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight drives, right? Or if you break that up into two people, you have fewer drives back and forth from between the jobs and everything like that. So you actually spend a lot less time in the truck with mm-hmm. one man operations. And so not only that, but it's, you have less drama, you mm-hmm. have less issues. We found in, in our opinion, we don't have the data on this, but we think it's safer um, because guys aren't leaving stuff places. Um, one guy goes to set up a ladder, doesn't set it up correctly. And the other guy just comes up and starts walking up it. Like they're sharing tools and stuff like that, yeah. which can oftentimes be an issue and you could leave tools different places. And, you don't uh, have to be responsible for yourself. You don't have to yeah. be responsible for someone else. Right. Plus if a mistake is made, there's no finger pointing. It can only be one person. Exactly. So, yeah, there's, there's definitely a lot of advantages to it. As far as the safety issue goes, we talked about that. And, you know, if it's a job that needs two people, you can send two vehicles <laughs> and, right. and then they can part ways at the end of it and do whatever it takes to be safe. So interesting um, idea. Cause I always grew up uh, in the industry and we ran two man crews, sometimes three man crews, you know? So it was kind of a, 
it's kind of a, for me personally, it's a new concept trying to think about, can we, can we route this out with one man crews? So you definitely can. And I, I recommend it. So go, going back to the growing pains, he said, uh, at, uh, at two crews. So two one man crews, there was a growing pain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it comes out to like, we used to never do in-person estimates. I just couldn't, it just didn't make sense to, to be driving out to do the estimate all the time. So we're doing all over the phone estimates mm-hmm. Get out there. And what happens is it's twice as big. They're not counting the pains correctly or the customer wants their gutters clean to know. Mm-hmm. Well, when you have, when you have 15 crews, that's really not that big of a deal because you always have another crew in that area that can pick up that last person's job if they can't make it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but when you have three guys, like that becomes a bigger issue. Um, like now, and now everyone's working late to try to get this job done. The workload can be divided more evenly. If someone's finishing yeah. ahead of time, you can always go send them to help out whoever's running behind. Right. If you have a couple guys and they're on the opposite side of the cities, they could be an hour and a half from each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, I mean, that's just not ideal. So yeah, that did get easier, but a couple of crews, I would say when we were in the revenue ballpark of, of, 300,000, it was really tough to keep that money um, because you have to have, you have to have someone answering those phones. Mm-hmm. You kind of have to have someone managing um, and then you have to have technicians and you still have all the, all of the overhead and the, the office and the um, software and all that, that a million dollar company has, um, but you don't have the same revenue as a million dollar company. So it's tough to be in that, that purgatory, you know, just less than, than 500,000. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was definitely a growing pain once we got on the other side of that. Cause it's um, like a tipping point as you, as you get yeah. close to the number that you mentioned, yep. it's become stressful because you only have so much time, but you need mm-hmm. to hire more people, but you don't have the, the amount of work to provide for that many people. Right. And so it's like, that has to go one way or the other. You either have to scale back and say, this is enough, or you have to continue to hire more and then hope the work comes with it. Exactly. Yeah. 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 It's tough. It's, it's, it's always a weird balance between the capacity and demand. Um, but the, I think the larger you get, it does even out. I remember, man, I would go back and forth. It would be different from week to week. One week I'd be like, oh my goodness, I'm never going to be able to hire enough people to do all this work. And then the next week, like the phone's not ringing as much. Now I start to panic about the marketing. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the, definitely. And maybe it's because I'm not involved in answering the phones and, and all that stuff that I used to be. Maybe I just don't notice it as much, but the ebbs and flows definitely even out um, the bigger the company is. So, right. That's interesting. Um, one of the, the issues that a lot of people, even outside of our industry have had is during the pandemic, employer retention can be very difficult. Right. <laughs> um, 
have you guys had issues with employee retention during the pandemic or since you guys hire a lot of college students, you always have turnover. It hasn't really affected you. What would you say? So I kind of have a, an interesting perspective on turnover. I would say um, when you get every once in a great while, you'll get somebody that's like, yeah, I want to make a career out of window cleaning and they're really good people. Um, but that's pretty well, like rare. experience or two. Yeah. Yeah. So if it's, if, if you bring an individual into your company and the highest that they're going to shoot in life is to be a window cleaner for you, for your small business. Um, they're just, they're, they're probably not shooting that high. And so, um, we, we hired a lot of college students and I call this job, this is a great stepping stone career. This is not like fast food. This is not a throwaway job. You can make some really good money here, get some really good experience. This is a great stepping stone career before your actual career. And that's what it is for a lot of our guys. Um, now, every once in a while, you'll get some people that want to stay on full time for, for a few years. And then you want to give them avenues for them to take over um, different leadership roles. We've got, we've got Brent who's been with Dan Plata before I'm, before we partnered with him, he was with him for eight years. We've got a new guy, Joey, that just started with us and he's absolutely excellent, a bit of a gearhead. So we put him in charge of like fixing our pressure washers and making sure all the vans have oil changes. We made him the equipment manager. We've got Cynthia who started with us. She was absolutely phenomenal right off the bat. Um, we made her the salesperson. And so we had Leah who actually applied to be a technician of ours. And she, we've noticed the, um, the uh, potential in her right away. And we put her directly into our, um, into our general manager role. So, um, yeah, when you, when you have those people that want to stay with you full-time, make sure that they have avenues to go. But a lot of the people are looking to make good money. They're working their way through school. Maybe they're taking a couple of years off of school. Maybe they don't know what they want to do yet. And that's cool too. But, um, the, the best quality people I think are going to look at your job as kind of stepping stone career. So just get really good at finding those people and training them as quickly as possible so that they can do a good job and they could, they, they're making good money commission and just get really good at training people and hiring people a lot. So you actually don't view the turnover as a negative because it allows you to find these high quality people who, in your opinion, are going, if they're any good, they're probably going to leave you at a certain point. So you actually embrace the turnover. So going back to the pandemic, it, you really didn't notice a difference as far as turnover, correct? That's kind of what I'm assuming. Um, for whatever reason, this has been the best hiring year we've ever had. Um, best quality people, best team. And I say that every year, I think it gets a little bit better. Um, but yeah, I mean, we hire, we hire, we have two former employees that are in law school together. So we're, we're hiring future, you know, but we have, uh, like one guy's a chiropractor. Now we've got a couple that are in law school. 
they're going on to do really cool things. That's a, that's a good high quality person mm-hmm. and they're going to be a good representation of your company. Um, the fact that they're only with you for a, a couple of years, that shouldn't be that big of a deal. So no, we don't view the turnover as a negative thing. As far as the pandemic, um, I don't know that that's made it harder, but it's definitely given people more options. Mm-hmm. And I would say it just trying to become a really good option is important. Um, okay. So, yeah, I, I, we've gotten, I think we picked up a couple people that got actually laid off because of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe they were working in a restaurant or something like that, but um, it didn't seem to slow us down. Now we have been spending a lot more money on Indeed. But we've hired more people this year. So I don't have it. I indeed got a lot more expensive because everyone's kind of competing with everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, like I'm competing with the landscaper or I'm competing with the, you know, the restaurant trying to hire wait staff. Or right. Um, so we're all competing with each other. We're all, we're all spending money on indeed um, or whatever <laughs> job hiring boards. So the, the ads get more expensive. Right. But is indeed your primary source to find? Um, new employees it's where the most of the eyeballs are we'll get a hand like we might get a few applicants from like craigslist or facebook but most of them are coming through India. yeah so here's a question you've uh you have several more employees than i do you've uh, had your own business for a few years longer than i have kind of researching about employees um one of the faux pas or mistakes that people make a lot as they hire friends and family. Mm-hmm. Did you experience that? I had no issue hiring friends, but I could see how it could be an issue if you get the wrong people. Mm-hmm. Um, family. I've hired every single one of my younger siblings, um, but they're also really good quality people too. Um, so it doesn't necessarily have to be an issue. It no. Can work for some people. Right. Right. Okay. Um, I hope so. I, because that's all that I have is friends yeah. and family. right now. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it, I think it would be fine. I mean, um, I, I'm probably not the best to give any advice to people that are hiring family. Um, but you know, I, you just have to have an understanding. Um, I, it, one frustration that I did have hiring my younger brother is that he didn't really look at it as a real job. It was kind of as he's looking at it, like he's helping his brother out and he like, it was difficult to get him to understand. He had to have, he had to meet the same expectations of everyone else. You can't be showing up late. You can't call me the day before and say, you know, you have to take your vehicle to the mechanic or whatever. Like you have to get to work. You have to show up on time. Sure has to be tucked in all of the things that my other employees had to abide by. You also have to abide by. And you don't want to be guilty of showing nepotism at all. Right. right. So if, if you expect a quality, a level of quality from somebody, you have to keep that across the board, even with family. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's how you're going to run a good business anyway. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Even that quality across the board, no matter what. Right. Yeah. 
Are we allowed to ask you questions? I know this is your podcast, but. Oh, no, go, go for it. <laughs> so one of the conversations that we've kind of had recently, um, I should start by saying one of our one of our goals is like time freedom long term. Um, mm-hmm. And so what that means for me not wanting to work in shift work for the rest of my life uh, is potentially. I don't know if you get to call it retirement or quitting um, early, but having me take some sort of responsibility in the business. So I'm curious if you've run into any issues with you and your wife working together. Yeah, um, definitely. In the beginning, um, she played a major role in the business, even though I was the one that had all the industry experience Um, she actually designed the logo for the business. I mean, like fundamental things like from the ground, uh, we did not want employees because, uh, past experiences with other window planning businesses, we saw how things can get messy, but as the business grew, kind of our goals and plans had to change along with them because as, as our business got bigger, we started getting more work, more and more stress got put on me as the the primary technician. I needed some help, brought in somebody and then needed some more help, brought in somebody else. And then uh, management side, I I couldn't handle it all. I'm naturally a disorganized person. She's naturally an organized person. And so even though there was a lot of um, technical aspects to running the business that um, she didn't know, she just intuitively was better at it than I was. And so working together, I, I helped her and uh, learn what she didn't know. And she picked it up really fast, really good at it. Now, as far as, um, as it is right now, she still has the security of having a source of income outside of our business. Uh, but personally, uh, I hope one day that our business can be the sole source of income because that will give us the freedom to have so-and-so so-called early retirement. So when my wife and I had discussed our retirement goals, um, we kind of a lot of the folks in our industry, unless they grow a million dollar window cleaning business with several employees, which originally we didn't even want any. And now we know we have some, um, you're not really going to have a retirement. You know, there's, there's several guys that I know of personally that are like, 60 years old and they're still on the glass, you know? So it's like, well, how do we, how do we do the things that we want to do, which is like travel? My wife and I love to travel. How do we travel, have good experiences uh, and also run this business in a way that um, allows us the financial freedom to do that and also have the time because it's kind of a balance. It's like either you make a lot of money and have no time or you don't make any money and you have tons of time, right? So like, how do we find that balance? So definitely having people work for you is part of the equation. But like what you said with growing pains, if you continue down that road, it's like you get a breath of air, but then it grows big enough to where you get stressed out again and your times ate up and then you get over that hump and then it gets a little bit bigger and it takes a while to get to the point where you guys are at now. Um, So we decided is that we would keep the business at a certain size, have a certain number of employees. And the plan is uh, I'm never really ever going to get off the glass, so to speak. But 
uh, I can get it to a point where I'm on the glass very, very little and have the flexibility. Um, you know, you can say yes or no to whatever projects you want. Say yes to the projects that make you the most amount of money and give you the most amount of time. And eventually you keep doing that. All of the projects that you have, all the clients that you have are these good ones. You've, you've looked at, you go through your list, you go through your clients. Uh, what am I making per hour in each one of these jobs? And either you adjust and raise it or you get rid of it. Uh, you do different things to maximize the amount of money you can make in your time. So you don't spread yourself out too thin. You find out where your target markets are. You, you heavily market those. Um, you make the most amount of money in the least amount of time. And then um, hopefully you find employees that can manage the business while you're gone doing what you want to do. I apologize. We're about to get some heavy rains. So hopefully it doesn't get too noisy. But uh, we recently um, recently tried this out. So we're about four years into our business, um, three employees now, and uh, with like a fourth sub. And uh, we decided it was, you know, we were going to take a vacation. And so we took a two and a half week long vacation and I wasn't on the glass at all. Didn't mean that I didn't work though. Cause there are still things I had to do. The employees can't do because I haven't hired out um, the type of office staff that you guys did. So there was like, I still had to do payroll, still had to answer some phones, you know, automate a voice, uh, voicemail and emails, um, schedule estimates, different things like that. But for the most part, we were able to manage the business and still uh, be away doing the things typically you would think of somebody in a retirement age group would be able to do. So we're not able to do that all the time, um, but multiple times a year, our, our goal is to do that. So the two and a half week long vacation was a success. Uh, the people that we had working for us were very responsible. They took care of the clients, uh, provided a high level quality of work, and we had very few issues. So uh, that's probably not going to always be the case. Um, but what we're hoping is that whether or not the people that we have working for us stay on, stay with us or leave us, we're hoping to continue to be selective about who we have working for us and then delegate responsibility enough to where we can have retirement. And so it, it doesn't mean that we won't ever um, be able to just stop working completely. So I'm not sure if that, that answers your question as far as my, my wife goes. As our business has grown, she's been able and has had to uh, take on more responsibility, but our income level has grown as well, which um, gives us, because we're selective with the jobs that we take and our scheduling, it's allowed us a little bit of financial freedom and also a little bit of freedom with our time to do the things that we want to do. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I, um, man, well, awesome job taking a two week vacation. And this, this was like during, this was like during the summer, right? This was like during your, uh, this was, uh, this was in, uh, we were gone for almost the whole month of September, which nice. Yeah. It was like a two and a half week long vacation, almost three weeks. Okay. Sweet. Yeah. And if you could stack enough of those together and was this like the first one you took? We, this is our, we're just about to complete our fourth year of business. Um, we had taken other vacations, but we basically just canceled work. <laughs> you know, 
And so this was the business continued to run. We continued to service clients, continued to generate new business while we were gone. So this was our first time doing that. From like the biggest hurdle for me, like taking vacations is I think like a mental hurdle of, you know, just understanding that the business is going to be okay. You know, there's, it's not going to burn down without you. There's like, there are no emergencies in window cleaning, but when you become so invested in. Thank you. I love yeah. that you said that. Whenever we get a call and it's an emergency window cleaning, it's like, really? Like, <laughs> what situation are we talking about here? Like, the person needs sunlight to live. And yeah. Yeah. Like, Mom, that's, I don't understand what an emergency window cleaning is. Yeah, exactly. I, I say that all the time, but man, some customers can be very persistent. Right. But, um, yeah, I, I think the biggest hurdle is a mental hurdle and you just do it that enough times and you stack enough of those vacations together. That's pretty much retirement. And like you said, you could use, like if you're trying to keep your company at a certain size, you can always dial up the profit. Like if, you, if you're hitting, up, hitting that capacity of employees that you're comfortable with, you just raise your prices a little bit and all, you know, probably some of your customers drop off, but now you've increased your profit. Across um, the board. So I worked for um, another business and was in a management position. And we were talking about how to make the business more profitable, how to increase our billable hour. And so we did a lot of like commercial route work. And at the time this was like a, nearly 30 year old business. And some of these jobs had been been being done for forever. So we had like $5 accounts, you know, like, right. you know, it's crazy. So like, you know, we were like, okay, well let's, let's raise the minimum. And we're like, well, what do you raise it to? It's like, you know, I don't know. So like we started testing our market. And so we had a minimum uh, of $20. So you, you take a $5 account and now it's $20, you know, you've, uh, you've significantly, raise the price of that and people were just fine. And so like profitability just started going up and up and up and up. Right. So like, um, it just, it taught me at that point, it's okay to test your market. It's okay to, to figure out what your service is worth because you're never really going to find that out unless you test your market. Um, and so we do that too. If, if we're running super tight, we've got a lot of, um, over the summer, we have a lot of, um, campuses that we do and our schedule gets super tight. So we're doing these large accounts and residential wants to be squeezed in there. You know, a new residential account, we're going to be charging premium prices because our time is at a premium at that point. So like you said, you can always scale up profitability because if you're at where you want to be at, you're, you are the decision maker. Um, You shouldn't have to be forced to continue to take on accounts because you're, you have a finite amount of time. So increase, increase your, um, your profit. It allows you more flexibility to reward the, your workers or people that are, you know, you know, soldiering alongside you during that point. And, uh, they can take over more responsibility and be rewarded for taking on more responsibility because you've raised your profitability. That's kind of for the past few years, that's kind of what we've, my wife and I've discussed and we kind of preached that a little bit, but to each their own. (laughs) People, people, I don't know if we just don't talk about this enough, but if, if you're, 
if your profit is 20% and like the bigger, the bigger you get, the smaller that number gets. So I just picked 20%. That might seem really small, but the larger you get, it gets pretty thin. Right. If your profit margin is 20% and you increase your prices 20%, you've just doubled your income. And if you have fewer people, if you have fewer customers, then you just hire fewer employees. Exactly. Fine. You know, um, I, I just discussed this before, and I, I even interviewed um, this gentleman. One of my former bosses uh, was a former president of the IWCA. And he had a, at the time, he was like the only president that had a 100% residential company. So that means he didn't do any like high rise. Right. So this guy did a ton of houses and um, he had bought and sold uh, a lot of uh, window cleaning businesses. And uh, he told me that actually letting go of business, uh, you can actually make more money by saying no. So like what he did was, is he, like I said, like he figured out where his best money was. And then if it was outside of that radius, he just let that go. And he was able to focus on what was actually good. Um, I remember it may have been my father-in-law, somebody I respect in business. He said that you'll make your, your first million saying yes to everything and your next million by saying no. <laughs> I like that. I like that a lot. Yeah. So it's, 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 uh, there's a, there's a lot of wisdom out there in those, those ideas and concepts, because especially starting out, I mean, when we started out four years ago, like we were literally taking anything and everything because we just didn't have anything. Mm-hmm. Um, but the larger we got and the more our time was precious, we started looking at the billable hour, which is another thing my former boss was always preaching to me is you have to know your numbers. If don't, don't come to me for advice unless you, unless you know your numbers, mm-hmm. what your P and L's are. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. So just, letting go of stuff that didn't make as good as other or stuff that was under what our billable needed to be. So, so that, that all, all of those little choices, some of them are big choices, but little choices along the way start steering you towards the point where uh, early retirement or even just like uh, typical retirement uh, is, is possible for a window cleaner or window cleaning company in this industry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. Um, when I first started the business, I remember, well, also, I, like I have customers that have been with me since I was in high school. Oh, wow. Yeah. Back then, I did not know. I did not have any idea what I'm supposed to be pricing this stuff at. And so their price is probably 10x in some, <laughs> in some instances. But, um, you know, it it's tough when you you're friends with this person and you've done their windows every single time. Like I'm, I'm, I used to be worse, but super like nice. I'm non-confrontational. Like I'll get out to this job and they actually have twice as many pains as they told me over the phone. I'm like, I'll just do it this one time. Cause I don't want to tell the customer their price is going to double. And so I would hold on to those customers for a long time that, and it would just eat me up inside. <laughs> and, uh, and so, you know, it was, it was a frustrating thing. When we started doing commission, though, now my employees, like, they're going to make sure that we're charging the proper amount because they're getting a percentage of that. 
That's interesting. So that really helped me. And now, now when I go do estimates, I not only have to keep my profit in mind, I also have to keep their hourly rate in mind. And that keeps me kind of from, from, you know, having a really low price in hopes that I get this account and then that account. Mm-hmm. It makes me bid every single job so that we make money on every single one mm-hmm. because our, our technicians also need to hit a certain right. hourly rate that they're used to doing. That is very interesting. Any, we're kind of, we're getting close to an hour. Um, any other questions you had before we wrap up? I don't think so. Time flies when you're having fun, I guess. Yeah. Um, so kind of in a review, we talked about um, turnover. Uh, you guys pointed out turnover is not necessarily a bad thing because uh, that's how you find the good ones. And then the good ones probably aren't going to stay on for forever anyway. I uh, talked about um, profitability and uh, efficiency. Uh, one-man crews can be extremely efficient. That's an interesting concept for me to think about. Uh, we talked about uh, retirement, how to get there, different ways, um, different ways that we're all trying out. Anyway, it's been really fun, guys. Uh, Andy, Kelly, both, thank you for your time. Thanks for being on the End of the Flow podcast, the Flowcast. And uh, we'll see you guys later. Have a good one. Absolutely. Thanks for having us. Bye. See you.